1: Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. Welcome to the New Books Network. Welcome to Cover Story, a podcast about long-form journalism. My name is Aga Popenda, and today we're talking to a New Yorker staff writer, uh, Carrie Button, about her mind-blowing and hilarious piece from March of this year, the unraveling, or it was, uh, or as, as it was later published, how politics test, tested Ravelry and the crafting community. The piece about uh, how quote unquote a nice website about the yarn got involved in the radical politics. Welcome, Carrie. Thank you so much. Hi, Aga. Thank you so much for having me. So the website we are talking about is Ravelry, the Facebook of knitting and uh, crocheting that once was. Uh, Rare online heaven as you write, and then came the Pussy Hat, Deplorable Meter, and more. Uh, before we talk about this amazing piece, Carrie, uh, can we talk a bit about your professional life and how you found yourself writing for New Yorker and what is writing to you in general?
0: Of course, yeah. Um, so I have been writing for the New Yorker, I believe, for about five years now, um, and I started writing for the New Yorker because I'd actually, for quite a long time, um, kind of made my name for myself as a, a music journalist, a music critic. I used to write for a music website called Pitchfork, and I had freelanced a bunch of pieces for various various publications. Um, even though, sort of, I don't necessarily identify myself as strictly a music critic, but that's that's kind of where people knew me from, um, and so. At the New Yorker, they had had one music critic for quite a long time. His name was Sasha Fair Jones. And I believe in 2015, he left the magazine and there was this kind of gaping hole where his music coverage used to be. Um... And, and, you know, people started filling in and writing about music. And then um, a, a writer named Kay Santa uh, reached out to me and asked if I wanted to meet because he was a fan of my writing. And, um, you know, and then he set me up with his editor and I pitched a few columns and then it went from there. And I just continued to write for for the magazine until I became a staff writer in 2018. And I still do write. I think a lot of people are or some people are confused about my writing career because they're like, oh, you write about music, but you also write about this other stuff. Um, and so I, I, I write a lot of music criticism for the magazine. And then for the magazine and online, I cover you know comedy, TV, random internet subcultures like Ravelry, etc. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, so pretty much culture. Uh, yes. Um, so this particular idea... Uh, how was it born? Uh, it seems that it was rooted, uh, uh, in your own experience, uh, meaning that, uh, well, how you encountered the whole idea and how you, how you pitched it, uh, how it happened.
0: Sure. Yeah. So like I said, I, in the piece, I started knitting in uh, towards the end of 2019. Um, I don't really remember what prompted me to buy knitting needles online. I just did it. And, you know, I I didn't know if it was going to be something that I would even like or that I would stick with. I've picked up a ton of hobbies in my life and, you know, tried it once and then sort of discarded it. But there was something about knitting that really stuck for me. um, And I was spending... you know, then the pandemic hit and I was spending so much time and so much money and so much space in my brain thinking about knitting. And I thought it was, originally I thought, you know, knitting is knitting. You have patterns, you have yarn, you make stuff, it's a craft. But then, um, you know, I, I realized that I wasn't just interested in the act of knitting and making things. I was also really interested in the history. And the more I learned about knitting, the more exciting I thought it was. I started following tons of knitting influencers on social media. I started subscribing to knitting magazines. I started obsessively browsing Ravelry um, and just sort of Googling. And I knew this whole time I was like, you know, I think about this thing so much, I need to find a way to write about it, but I don't, you know, I I can't just pitch my editor, hey, I want to write about knitting, there has to be some, there has to be some, you know, actual story there. And the more I read about Ravelry, and the more time I spent on Ravelry, the more I thought, okay, um, this actually is a quite interesting narrative story to tell that involves knitting and it's one that you know there had been a lot of reports you know a year and a half or two years ago when Ravelry enacted their Trump ban on the site but you know things had continued to develop with that story and with other stories on the site and nobody had had really written about it so yeah I I mostly pitched it as a piece about Ravelry and how even a community dedicated to the sort of most innocent, wholesome, seemingly apolitical thing could, um, you know, be seized by all of these really crazy dynamics that we encounter online as a result of social media and politics and Trump.
1: Mm -hmm. So before we go into the meat of it, uh, it seems that you picked up needing before COVID, right? Yes. Yes, I did. It was very lucky. It was just a few months before COVID. But then it seems that for many people, COVID was this uh, uh, moment when they decided that, that you know, it's time for a new hobby like mm-hmm. that. You mentioned in this, this piece, uh, you know, Michelle Obama, for example. Yes. Uh, uh, you know, uh, with this hilarious quote. Yes. That, um, and uh um
0: oh excuse me i just sneezed
1: <laughs> bless you so let's talk about the uh, the website itself the facebook of knitting with the 9 million registered accounts mm-hmm. um i and uh again i'm quoting from your piece uh, from your piece um Uh, telling an editor to check out is like telling someone who just got a computer, hey, you should check out Google. Mm -hmm. And it seems that it has, uh, uh, it's popular not only in the US, but around the world. uh, Mm -hmm. And it's also... you mentioned that it's uh, kind of outdated, uh, meaning that it's very manually run, no algorithm that experience is pretty of this old fashioned Internet. Could you tell a bit about uh, the whole community, the vibe, uh, how it feels, what to expect? Mm -hmm.
0: sure yeah I mean I don't remember exactly what it was I think sort of just browsing or or, you know wondering where I could find a pattern I kept seeing Ravelry pop up here and there you know on knitting websites just constantly heard you know people referencing Ravelry I was sort of like well what's Ravelry what's Ravelry and finally I went on there and I was like oh I have to make an account to even look at anything how am I going to do this and then You know, once I made an account and I looked at it, I was like, what is with this website? It is so ugly and janky and I don't know how to find anything. You know, it's not intuitive like social media. All these social media platforms make it so easy to just dive right in and immediately be immersed in in content. Um, But then I sort of kept fiddling with it and kept fiddling with it. It really felt like I was learning you know, I was learning a new skill or like, you know, I really had to learn how to use the site because the search functions are not at all intuitive and I'm still actually discovering, um, new ways to use the site. But finally, um, finally I learned how to use the search functions and I would just spend hours and hours and hours, um, I browsing patterns and what happens on Ravelry is like you fall down so many rabbit holes, um, in a good way, not in a bad way where you feel like you've wasted your time. It's like you can search for a specific pattern and then you can click and see everybody else in the entire world who's ever made this sweater. And you look at their, their sweaters and you see all the notes that they've taken about their sweaters. And then you see what yarn they used. And then you click on that yarn and it brings you to a page for that yarn. And you learn that it's produced by this independent organic um, you know sheep farm in rural Maine and then you look at that website and it's just it's it's such a fun place to
1: explore uh, right uh, but uh, uh, like you again say uh, in, in your piece uh, knitters are just the society like any other society so, Uh, Also, in the corners of this universe, you find politics, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And this is what the lovely founders of the website kind of found out uh, uh, when they were developing this page. Uh, Could you tell about uh, how, uh, how the controversy was born? Sure, yeah. So
0: one thing that's very interesting about Ravelry, and I didn't really get a chance to explain this in the piece, is... Um, the politics are not front and center in the design and the interface. You could use Ravelry as I did for a year or months and months and just look at patterns and you could have no idea that there are all these really intense conversations happening unless you click specifically on the forums or the groups pages, which are the message boards where all these conversations are happening. And then you realize that there is this sort of smaller tight knit community of very active, very active posters on the site who are you know spending their entire day either fighting with people or or you know or not fighting with people sometimes they're like lovingly discussing their patterns or their children or recipes or something it's kind of like anywhere else on the internet and you go oh wow even this knitting website has has you know all of these contentious conversations being held on it at all times um and so, how it all started. Going back to your your actual question, uh, I'm try- I'm actually trying to remember. I do know, you know, one thing that I thought was really interesting is everybody has this conception that Donald Trump changed everything, and the Trump preside- presidency changed the way that we talk about each other online. And I think Ravelry is a good example of a place that where these. These very heated political discussions had been happening for a really long time before Trump even was elected. And, um, you know, rivalry was launched in 2007-2008. And when Obama was elected, that's when you really started to see the sort of extreme far-right people coming out of the woodwork, getting really pissed that we had this this liberal black president and that's when things really started to get divided and you know you had sarah palin who was people were constantly fighting about sarah palin on rivalry um i don't know if you remember the tea party like the tea party sort of originated all of these all of these attitudes and conversations so so it started way back in 2008 and you know then they started you know rivalry the founders were like whoa 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 this is this is way more intense than we ever anticipated. We have to sort of make some guidelines and make some rules um, and sort of, we have to figure out a way to shut down conversation that is verging on racist or violent or hate speech or just, you know, plain old unproductive and nasty. So there was a group It was called the bunker. It was a far right group on the website and, and, you know, they had, they had made some comments that really crossed the line about Obama And finally, the founders, that was one of the first times they really stepped out and took a stand um, and they said, "Okay, you know what? We're going to shut down this group like you can't you can't do this anymore. And so that's the thing that I think really, really sort of got the ball rolling with the controversies on Ravelry, which was like, you know, 12 or 13
1: years ago. Yeah. Um, Yeah, that's amazing. Uh, You have so uh, several sources in the story, and I was wondering how you got access to them. Uh, I assume online, maybe not, uh, but also um, you know uh, who you were able to uh, get first, uh, and uh, <clears throat> who you started with. For example, did you start with uh, uh, the founders of the website, or for example the uh, you know the Pussyhead Project group, which is another fascinating piece of that story
0: yeah so I knew when I got assigned this story and my editor approved it I knew that a key a key part of the story was obviously going to be access to the founders and I knew a little bit about the founders but they had never done an interview with a, a member of the press before which uh, you know even they didn't do an interview with The Times they haven't done an interview with with hardly any, or yeah, they've, they've never done an interview before. And I realized that, and I was like, Oh crap. Like, you you know, how am I going to do this piece without, without the founders? So I actually, I sent an email to Cassidy. Um, she's one of the founders and you know, one thing I was very explicit about was the fact that I am a Ravelry user. And first Mm -hmm. and foremost, I am a knitter and I'm a knitting enthusiast and I use the site quite frequently. And so, that sort of gave me a little bit more credibility in their eyes. And so she said, okay, I'll agree, I'll agree um, to do this, but only because you are a Ravelry user and because you seem to actually care about knitting. They're very, they're very worried about sort of outsiders and the kind of cliches that, that outsiders, you know, come up with when it comes to knitting. So um, originally, you know, she asked, could you just do, could you just send me the questions over email? And I said, no, that's not really going to work. You know, this is going to be a much longer piece really delving into all of the things that are going on. Like, could we, could we talk on the phone? So, So, you know, we had, we had a several, several hours on the phone over the course of a few months. And then I talked to Cassidy's wife, Jess also on the phone. And then, you know, across that time period, I was also, I was also reaching out to various people using Ravelry's internal DM mechanism. Mm-hmm. Um, and so basically this was one of those things where I would talk to one person and then, you know, th- that that person would explain a lot of things and give me recommendations for other people to talk to. So it kind of developed organically. Um, I, I also talked to many people who didn't ultimately make it into the piece and a lot of those people are pattern designers Mm -hmm. uh, who who are really popular and they make a living on Ravelry Um, so I interviewed a bunch of them and ultimately the reason why I interviewed them is just because I was I was fans of them and I just wanted to talk to them yeah (laughs) Um, so a lot of that stuff didn't make it into the piece but but you know I was I was so excited to be able to keep having conversations about knitting with people that
1: it didn't really matter Was there someone that you wanted for the story that you were not able to get? Uh, For example, you have this uh, interesting interactions with uh, uh, this uh, one woman from the other side. I believe her uh, nickname is just deplorable. Yes. Um, And uh, yeah, could you uh, tell me about, uh, that was a pretty interesting interaction, right? Because she didn't really want to, you know, come out with her name or anything like that. Sure.
0: Yeah, I I was sort of shocked that she even agreed to speak with me. Um, but y- you know, she was she was quite enthusiastic about participating in the piece. I didn't actually mind that she didn't give me her real name. Um, I, I was perfectly happy to simply identify her as deplorable in the piece, and I actually think it kind of made everything funnier. Um, just because you know, this is a woman who does a you know a podcast about knitting, and she designs knitting patterns for hats and and like the idea that she felt like she really needed to protect her identity so intently uh it it, it just it, i think it perfectly kind of encapsulated the absurdity of of a lot of the elements of the piece um the other people i did end up so Ma, ravelry has Six people who are very important to the function of the site, and those are the, the moderators and those are the people who sort of monitor activity on the message boards and decide what's appropriate and what's inappropriate. I really, really struggled. I I reached out to all of them and I really struggled to get them to talk to me and I didn't expect that to be the case. I thought they were going to be super excited um, super excited to chat with me. They would be, they, they're so into Ravelry. I thought they would want to talk definitely, but all of them were pretty, all of them were pretty timid and they really didn't want to be featured in the piece. And so it took sort of a lot of coaxing to finally get one of them to agree to do an interview for
1: the piece. Mm-hmm. And also you, uh, you, uh, describe a lot the uh, Ravelry Pussyhat project group. Um, uh-huh. And that touches on this um, aspect of knitting that kind of uh, hmm, uh, refers to um, knitting as as a form of feminism, right? Something uh, liberating mm-hmm. from the capitalist, oppressive thing that this, uh, could you tell a bit about uh, that community and those women?
0: Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think I didn't realize until I started working on the piece that the pussy hat pattern was created by this woman um this woman in, who runs a knitting shop called the little knittery in los angeles and that pattern was on ravelry within a few days of her writing that pattern and i didn't i hadn't realized that ravelry was such a you know a, an important mechanism for distributing um mm-hmm. for distributing the pussy hat around the world and so when i learned that i was like okay you know, most people are going to be familiar with the pussy hat. Um, even if you don't know anything about knitting, you don't know anything about Ravelry. You're not interested in crafts or knitting or politics. You sort of know what the pussy hat is. And so I figured, okay, this is going to be a good entry point for readers. So I'm going to put that up at the top because they're going to recognize what the pussy hat is. And then there's going to be sort of a, you know, an extra layer that they didn't know, which is that it, it was on this website. and. I also just thought I kind of really liked the symmetry of having the pussy hat and then also having the build the wall hat as sort of two hats that became um, unexpected, unexpectedly pivotal pivotal, um, pivotal points in, in the trajectory of Ravelry.
1: Um, okay. Uh, so we know that uh, 97% of users on the website are women. Uh, I was under, wondering, no gay men at least, uh, maybe some straight men. I mean, also, I, you mentioned kind of that, you know, uh, uh, knitters, uh, you know, are everyone from pretty much teenagers to really old ladies. But I was wondering if there is a type, uh, if there is a type, uh, what kind of people are looking for, for that type of uh, hobby or find pleasure in that type of hobby?
0: Sure. Yeah. I mean, I I will actually say, uh, you can't really, I'm not sure if that 97%, I'm not sure about that 97% number. Um, but, uh, there are a lot of male knitters. And in fact, one of the most famous and well, well loved knitwear designers, his name is Stephen West and he's a gay man. Um, and he actually declined to be interviewed for the piece, which was which was a little bit disappointing for me. He's another person I couldn't get to talk to. Me, um, there's another male knitwear designer named Jared Flood. There's this guy Martin Story. Actually, it's it's almost a little bit like cooking where. Um, a lot of the top chefs, you know, in the restaurants are men. And then a lot of the people who actually do cooking and follow recipes and stuff are women at home. Um, and in the knitwear community, there's a disproportionate amount of male knitwear designers. And then, you know, the women are more the people who, who are oh. doing it as a hobby at home. Um Uh, But as far as the demographic of knitters on Ravelry and just in general, I was actually really shocked to discover how young um, the community skewed. For some reason, I I did sort of naively assume that everybody I was going to be talking to or coming across on Ravelry would be you know, over 60, but it turned out there are a ton of people in their twenties in their thirties in their forties and their fifties knitting. Um, and also there, you know, knitting has received this kind of infusion of buzz because of TikTok, because of Instagram, because of Etsy. I think Ravelry tends to skew a little bit older, but then you go over to Etsy where another platform where patterns are made. And, and I think, um, the knitters there and the pattern designers there are, are much younger.
1: Yeah. Uh, knitting is being described as a, a specific form of pleasure, a rare form of pleasure, you even write. Uh, and you're talking about this particular satisfaction and how soothing that can be. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was also wondering if you see any uh, similarities between knitting and writing, you know, kind of uh, doing something slowly, uh, a lot of editing, you know. Right, um yeah, I was just wondering, and you mentioned cooking. I was thinking about mm-hmm. uh, uh, this particular type of pleasure that brings so much satisfaction what 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 knitters typically say uh, uh, that what is this thing that uh, drives them and you know uh, makes them do that?
0: yeah, yeah, well, first of all, knitting is so much more fun than writing um. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I would I would rather knit than write any day of the any day of the week. Um, But but yeah, there is something I mean, it's it's really hard for me to even explain what it is about knitting that is just so pleasurable. It's like, You know, first, first, there's just uh, to be able to teach yourself a new skill and to learn a new skill as an adult is just an incredible feeling. And it's one that, you know, as a result of knitting, uh, you know, I'm kind of addicted to learning new new skills within the realm of knitting. It's like, oh, here's here's how to do a cable, uh, make a a a sweater with cables. And every time you learn something new Hmm. with, with knitting, you kind of feel like you've unlocked a new part of the universe that was like previously previously inaccessible to you. Um, And it's just like, you know, I think about all the time that I waste during the day, just looking at social media or mindlessly refreshing Twitter, mindlessly refreshing my email, mindlessly refreshing Instagram, online shopping, going on Amazon, just doinking around my apartment. And like, you know, knitting is allows you to relax in that way and sort of waste time. But then at the end of it, you have something to show for it. And you're actually making something really cool. And so it's this sort of interplay between relaxation and productivity. There's absolutely nothing else that's like it Hmm. that I've ever done.
1: So it's not about finding one pattern and making one sweater after another it's mostly about discovering uh, more and more or uh, more more ways to do that or there are just like two different types of <laughs> Type of people.
0: <laughs> I think there are two different type of people. I mean, I'm still pretty early on in my knitting career. Like my knitting career. I mean, my knitting, my knitting journey. Yeah. You know, I've, I I have barely even been knitting for two years, so I still have so much to learn. So learning all these new techniques, you know, are, is still so exciting to me. Whereas I think maybe in five or six years, once I've sort of been around the block a few more times, um, then I will have I, I I will kind of discover my identity as an Knitter a little better. Right now, it's almost like I'm in high school, and I'm like, "Am I going to be a jock? Am I going to be a nerd? What am I, what type of person? What type of knitter am I going to be?" <laughs> um, so, so I'm I'm still like finding myself as a knitter, and that's really fun. But I think most people, once they've done it for a really long time, they start to have a more set idea of what it is they really like, and and you know what types of projects they do, and so they. It, it, is, it becomes just about, you know, making a sweater. Okay, I'm going to make this scarf. I'm going to make this thing.
1: Um, so, well, my next question actually was uh, if this piece uh, spoiled the pleasure of knitting uh, for you, but it sounds that it, it didn't.
0: No, <laughs> no, it, it did for a few weeks. Actually, um, I, I really had a hard time picking up my knitting after the piece came out, and also I have to say I I do, I, it's very difficult for me to go on Ravelry now. I, I I'm filled with all kinds of complicated feelings about the site, and but I still, but but recently in the last couple of weeks I've started I've started going back on, and I'm like, oh, now I remember, you know, wh- why I loved this so much. But but yeah, no, thank. That was my biggest fear. I'm writing this piece. I was like, I don't, I don't want to ruin knitting for myself. What, what, what am I going to do with my life if that happens? Um, so I, I did not ruin, ruin it for myself. I'm currently knitting a baby blanket for a friend right now. So, so I'm very happy that I was able to
1: preserve, preserve the pleasure of this hobby. That's amazing. And I was wondering, uh, since you're uh, check it on a regular basis, do things uh, got calmer with the new administration? Uh, you know, less political or still the same thing uh, and the conversations are as heated?
0: Um, so with the new administration, I do I do think that, you know, the sort of pol- the specifically political conversation has died down a little bit. I know that Ravelry continues to receive a lot of There's a lot of controversy still around the design of the website, which is sort of the, the last section of my piece. Um, the sort of new, the new dynamic on Ravelry is, uh, you know, there are a lot of people claiming that the site is poorly designed and that it was not designed for people with disabilities in mind. Um, and so you, you see, you're seeing still a lot of people in, in the knitting community, expressing their frustration with Ravelry's, with, with Ravelry's design des- decisions, which also in some ways, you know, that doesn't sound like something to your average person would have, you, would have the, the, the possibility of becoming this, this huge deal, but it really has, um, people are really, really, really passionate about Ravelry. And when there is something about it that they do not like, or they don't agree with, um,
1: the conversation can get really, really, really heated. Um, uh, do you have to be interested as a writer in the subject to cover it? Meaning is, do you think if, uh, your range of, your range is pretty broad, uh, but is there something that you wouldn't cover and you would not want to write about?
0: Oh yeah. There's lots of stuff I wouldn't want to write about. I mean, I think, I think that you can. If, if it's a piece that you are actually reporting and and you're doing interviews with people and you're learning about a story or a subject, I sort of think you can write about anything and become interested in it and you learn about it. But I also write a lot of essays and sort of um, criticism and, and pieces that are not reported. And for those pieces, like, I think you actually really do have to be interested in the subject. Like, I'm I'm not a Particularly political person, I don't. I don't follow the day to day nuances of the American political system. So if somebody asked me to write about uh, write a column expressing my political opinions, I would never be able to do it. But then if you look at it through a sort of sideways lens, through a community online, such as Ravelry or any number of communities online, that's that's where I can find politics exciting.
1: Mm -hmm. And who are your favorite writers uh, in terms of long-form journalism?
0: Oh boy, Um, who are my favorite
1: writers? (laughs) Let me
0: think. (laughs) Uh, no, I mean, uh, uh, what, one person who I just, I mean, he's a critic and, and he, he writes long form stuff as well. But one person who always just comes to the top of my mind, um, when asked who my favorite writers are, uh, Wesley Morris, who is a culture writer for the New York times. I'm obsessed Mm -hmm. with him. Um, you know, so many of my colleagues at the New Yorker, I think Rachel Aviv, she writes, she writes features for the New Yorker. I think every single piece she writes is, is absolutely brilliant. Um, the, the, the colleague of mine, I mentioned Kay Sanna. Um, okay. Yeah. So, yeah, lots of my colleagues at The New Yorker.
1: And uh, do you have a f- favorite piece that you wrote that you like the most or you're the most proud of? You know,
0: I would have to say, just because it's at the top of my head, it's fresh on my mind, Ravel the Ravelry piece. Uh-huh. For me... I don't know if it's the best piece I've ever written, but it was certainly the most fun. Um, And so I have the most kind of pleasant, pleasant feelings around it.
1: Yeah. So what are you working on right now? Uh, uh, You know, I know that you're working on the baby blanket, but in terms of what can we expect (laughs) in the upcoming months? Sure. Yeah. Um, Right now I'm trying to figure out, you know, I I have to
0: write some, I'm going to be covering some, some music in the next couple of months for the magazine. Um, I just, finished interviewing this filmmaker director screenwriter his name is mike white um and he made this new television show it's on hbo it's called white lotus and he is just a genius guy and so fun to talk to and so this interview i'm doing with him you know will be coming out soon I'm also trying to work on, this is not something that we'll see the light of day anytime soon, but I'm trying to work on a, on a TV pilot. Um, I'm I'm trying to learn how to, how to write for how to write scripts, which is a little bit difficult. Also not as fun as knitting, Um, but I'm I'm trying to, I'm trying to figure that out. Sorry. Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Okay. Sorry. I didn't realize if it was, if I was getting cut off or not. Um, Yeah. So that's what I've got on my plate. I'm still, uh, I'm still trying to find my stride again after, after, you know, the end of quarantine. I'm trying to, trying to figure out what direction I want to go in and how to, how to, you know, motivate myself to really uh, get back out there.
1: Hey, Carrie. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Uh, We have some minor disruptions, but I, I can hear you and, uh, um, Yeah, pretty much. These are all my questions uh, uh, for you. And I wanted to thank you for your time. Of course. uh, And yes, uh, we were talking to a New Yorker staff writer, Carrie Button, and uh, her piece from March of this year, The Unraveling or How Politics Tested Ravelry and the Crafting Community. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you, Aga.